Hey, deal makers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Today's show is going to be all about raising capital with our guest, Brad Blazer. And this guy has raised $2 billion, and he brings some pretty good tips that you probably haven't heard anywhere before where you can raise money. It's going to be awesome. I want to give a shout out to Aska Toison, who left us a review on, on Apple, on podcast iTunes. I really enjoy listening to your podcast and continue expanding my knowledge. Thanks so much and keep up the great work, Aska. I appreciate that. If you enjoy this show, it would be great to have to hear from you as well on iTunes for the podcast so more people can find it. So today it's going to be all about raising capital, such an important topic. And today's guest is Brad Blazer. He's a founder of Capital School. It's one of the fastest growing communities for entrepreneurs, business owners, CNOs, and others that are learning to attract, raise, and close high net worth investors for a variety of different businesses. Of course, multifamily being one of them as well. He's raised over $2 billion, has led sales teams, and he's got some really good tips that I think you're really going to enjoy. If you want to get started with actively investing in, in multifamily, check us out. We have the best mentoring program on the planet, themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor, and just set up a, a call because basically we're the only ones that guarantee results. If you don't do a, for your first syndication the first 12 months, we'll continue working with you until you do. No one else has a guarantee like that. And it's because we have the dealmaker blueprint. It's all about blueprints and systems, and Brad will talk about that as well, his system for raising capital. And we have one for the whole thing of syndication doing your first deal so that you can become financially free. And check us out at michaelblank.com forward slash mentor and have a conversation with us and create some clarity for what you want to do in your life and see how we can help as well. So with that, let's get an interview with Brad Blazer. Here we go. Brad, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Michael. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You know, it's you're so accomplished. You've raised so much money, $2 billion. You've led teams that have raised money. You founded a, a school related to raising money. So you've a lot of experience raising money from high net worth individuals. So I can't wait to kind of unpack that a little bit more. Sometimes though, as, as you know, when you hear $2 billion, it's, it's, it's this giant number and people are like, yeah, that's great, Brad. Good for you. I don't know how I'm going to relate to that. We'll, we'll get to that. But how did you get started with raising capital? You know, if you re rewind the clock a little bit. You know, it's really interesting. When I actually went off to school, I went to college with the ambition of being an architect, and I wanted to use the architectural skills to become a real estate developer. And like a lot of kids in school, I was looking for a part-time job. So, you know, I get out the paper and I'm just starting to circle lags and I'm faxing and sending resumes all over the place. And I get a call one day and it was actually from a small oil company in Austin, Texas. I was going to UT and the receptionist said, you know, hey, we got your resume. The CEO of the company would like to interview you. And I'm like, great. So I went in, you know, all suited up. And this guy that was a CEO of a small oil company, for whatever reason, took a liking to me. I was a 21-year-old kid. And he said, you know, I really like it, man. You're smart. You can think on your feet. And I'd like to offer you a job. And I said, great. <laughs> what am I going to be doing? And he said, well, we're going to teach you a system of how to get on a phone and basically build trust and establish relationships 
with high net worth individuals and ultimately get them to the point where they're comfortable moving forward and investing with us in our oil and gas drilling programs. I said, great. He said, you're going to be paid a commission. You'll be paid real well. And so over the course of about a three-week process, they literally taught me a number of key principles, concepts, systems. This is all, of course, before the internet. So all the stuff was being done over the phone. And I was just working maybe 12 to 15 hours a week, you know, between classes, going in after school, taking advantage of the couple hours between Texas and California, reaching out to people on the West Coast. But I was making a pretty comfortable income for a college kid, you know, $80,000, $100,000 working 12 to 15 hour weeks. And I'm like, my God, like, why am I going to school to graduate with a diploma to go out in the workforce and maybe if I'm lucky, make 60 to 80 working 40 hours. So I took that and I went to work for a second company, Michael, doing exactly the same thing. Unfortunately, through one of my investors that was a petroleum engineer, we uncovered some misrepresentations and fraud. And so when I resigned and organized a class action, which we ultimately prevailed in, my entire investor base turned to me and they had never met me. They didn't know I was a 23-year-old kid, I don't think. And they said, well, Brad, what are you going to do now? <laughs> I just saw this huge door of opportunity open. And so never having drilled an oil well, not knowing the first thing about building a multi-million dollar business, but knowing I could find people like a good attorney and a good CPA, I printed up some letterhead and business cards and on the door, Third Coast Petroleum, and there I was, just you know, raising literally millions of dollars, hired people. And over the course of a decade, we built a pretty nice, sizable company with drilling programs here in Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. But that's largely how I fell into it. You know, I wasn't looking to raise capital. I actually learned at a very young age, and it just stayed with me my entire life. What was it that yes, your your early employer saw in you when he when he hired you and said, I'm gonna I'm gonna hire you? And you're like, for what? He obviously saw something in you yeah. that he felt you would you, you would excel at and you didn't even know how to do it. What is it do you think that he saw in you? I think number one, probably a little bit of confidence and cockiness. You know, I won't say that I had a chip on my shoulder, but you know, you definitely need to be confident. And the other thing I think also was the ability really to establish relationships. That's something that I've been really gifted with and good at most of my life. And I largely attribute that to having to uproot myself as a kid and basically, you know, make friends and build relationships because my dad was a CEO and an entrepreneur. And so about every three to five years, we were uprooted and, you know, we had to move. And so I think it was just that ability to very quickly build relationships and trust with others. Maybe that's what he saw in me. The other, I think, was just, I was, you know, energetic. I, I wanted a great opportunity. And he just saw in me something that I guess he was attracted to, much like I've seen in others, obviously, that I've hired into my organization. But I think a lot of it was just the confidence, you know, and just the ability to think on my feet real and, and just be real sharp. So confidence, I think you said building relationships several times. Yep. And this was back, you said before, for the internet. Were you doing this over the phone, in person? And then more importantly, how did you build relationships, whether it's in person or over the phone? Yep. Because you were probably talking to a large number of, of individuals and you, you can't afford to spend days and months building relationships. So how did you figure out how to build relationships 
I would say more efficiently, though, you can't hurry it either. But how did you, what what did you find works? Yeah. So it was all done over the telephone for the most part, reaching out to people. And what I've learned, having done this now for close to 30 years, and also, of course, doing it at the highest levels, raising tens of millions of dollars from, you know, family offices, insurance companies, pensions, trusts, you know, sovereign wealth funds, is... It's more of a journey than a sprint. And I think what's made me successful and also teaching others is I've been able to take my knowledge and really systematize and codify it. And so as I teach people, I talk about key concepts and key principles, things like the four-step blueprint, the trust sequence, the validation phrase. And when you're talking to a potential investor, What I've always really done is backed away and just tell them right from the get-go. Right now, I just don't have anything that I can really talk to you about from an investment perspective. You know, here's why. So it's a little bit of the negative sell or the takeaway, but it's really just getting to know that other person. You know, psychologists have shown us that if you show interest in another person and really get them to talk about themselves that's what developing a relationship is all about. And so, you know, I just basically ask them, you know, have you ever invested in something like this before? And they're going to give you an answer. Well, great. Tell me about that. When you invest, what are you looking for? Are you looking for growth? Are you looking for income? You know, how important are tax considerations to you? What's your time horizon? And so it gets back to you know, what we call the KYC, know your client roles in the securities industry. But it's really, I think, uncovering the temptation. What's going to get that person to move forward with you as a potential investor? Because if you can uncover their temptation and find out why they're wanting to invest or what they're wanting to do with the money they're investing, you know, you're you're, you're nine-tenths of the way there. That's interesting. So let's talk about motivation when you're talking about because people say, well, I want to return or mm-hmm. I want to hedge or I want to get tax benefits. To what degree do you dig a little deeper with that person? Is that normally satisfactory to go with that answer or do you do you try to go a little deeper or what's behind that motivation? Yeah, I go I go much deeper. One of the things I talk about is this thing called the trust sequence. Yeah, there's a great book that your listeners can go and Google. It's called The Trust Economy by a gentleman named Philippe de Conner. And in there, he talks about a sequence that takes place in people's minds. There's actually six steps to this process. The first is perception. You know, when you meet somebody, man, they're checking you out. And, you know, I like to say to the ladies, you get this a lot better than us guys do, because when that guy pulled up, the first thing going through your mind is, is there ever going to be a second date? But that's largely what it's about with a potential investor. They meet you, they shake their hand if it's a personal meeting, you know, how you dress, the quality of your presentation materials, if you have a pitch deck, if you have a website, that largely dictates whether they want a second date. But the second step in this process, we call that temptation. That's where you're uncovering the need. That's where you're going deeper. And then after temptation, the third step is what he calls connection. Connection is the most important part because at the end of the day, Michael, we know investing is all a relationship-driven business. You got to build that relationship. You got to get the people to trust you. And then the fourth step we call validation. 
I always tell my students that we work with, you're largely wasting your time pitching or talking about an investment until you know that person trusts you. Because the next step in the process is they're just going to say, oh, that sounds great. Can you send me some information to take a look at, which you do. But then when you follow up and you try to close them, they become real evasive. They're going to give you every excuse as to why they don't want to invest. And it's not you and it's not the deal. It's largely just they don't know you. They don't trust you enough to physically write you a check. So if you stop and you, you know, step back, and you build that trust and you allow the other person to really get to know you, you're going to be much, much more successful. You're going to raise considerably more money and you're going to have much greater conversion with regards to the people you're talking with as it relates to the people that are ultimately writing you checks. Well, you're right. I mean, uh, many situations you just so you're just dying to make the pitch. You know, you want yeah, to close exactly. the that's, person that's down. That's the mistake that and, most and everybody so, makes. They got the deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or they've got it now under contract, and now they're in capital chasing mode, and they're so excited that they start pitching the deal way too prematurely in the process. Why? Because they need the money to close the transaction. And so, you know, the best advice I give to people is, look, slow down. You know, and a lot of, of course, real estate people finally realize that maybe it's better for me to launch a fund so that now I have something to talk to investors about 365 days a year, the fund essentially replaces the deal. And now as I'm raising money in a fund, I hopefully have enough to close on a property or close on the deal when the opportunity presents itself. But the biggest mistake a lot of people make that are new to raising capital is they just pitch way too early in the process. And like I said earlier, that person's going to naturally say, yeah, you know, send me the stuff. I'll take a look yeah. at it. But ultimately, they're not going to write a check when it comes time to physically close them. Now, give me an example. What should someone say to build trust before the pitch? Well, you know, it's a lot of just really getting to know that person. But the validation phrase is something that I've worked on for many years. And it really is a subconscious acknowledgement that that person now trusts you to move forward in this process. So remember, all along, what I've been basically telling this person is right now, I just don't have an investment I can share with you, Michael. I wish I did. But the validation phrase literally takes place at the end of the second call. And so in the first call, I'm asking questions, I'm digging deeper. The second call, I'm digging deeper. And usually at the end of that second conversation, I say something like, Michael, you know, like I've shared with you right now, I just don't have an investment to share with you. And the reason is I always like to give my existing investors the right of first refusal on most of my new deals. And so as a result, they tend to fill up pretty quickly. But what I'd love to do is I keep a list of people on my desk that have expressed interest. I'd love to just add you to that list. And in the event, I have an opening on something in the future that I think you can get real excited about. I'd love to be able to give you a call and go through that with you. Is that okay? When they say, yes, please do that, what are they essentially saying to you? Yeah, they're I validating. Trust you yeah, they're trusting you. Yeah. forward now in this process. I invite you to call me when there's an opportunity to talk about. So, you know, I put a little note in my CRM, maybe eight, 10 days later, what do you think I'm doing? Hey, Michael, Brad Blazer here, buddy. And I check in, I build a rapport. Hey, I'm going down my list. If you remember the last time I spoke to you, 
you asked me to add you to my list. It just so happens I'm working on a deal. It's, you know, Naples, Florida or wherever. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot left, but if you have five to seven minutes, I'd love to share it with you, tell you what it is we're doing and see if it's something that you might have an interest in. See, now when I send it, they're much more inclined to look at it. But on the back end of that, when I call them back to answer questions, they're much more inclined to move forward because they've already communicated to me on the front end of that validation phrase that there's now trust established to move to that next step in the journey with me. If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year, and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you. And set up a a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Now, when you're doing a 506B, sometimes it can happen that you don't have a deal, you know, right away, like you talked about. Now, when you did one of the advantages of having a fund, of course, is that you do have something open year round, which is advantageous. You can manage the process, like you said, and then all of a sudden, you know, you you have an opening because you're going to raise another tranche. When you're doing when you're doing a 506B, you don't you don't you can't always control the timing quite as much. What do you do to keep? And and the problem is, of course, someone calls you. They trust you. They want to invest with you. And you say, I'll give you a call when I get a deal, right? And then three months goes by. Three months is a long time. You know, right. they get $100,000 to deploy. You know, are they going to wait around for you? Maybe. Or they'll, <laughs> they'll go with somebody else. Well, yeah. what, do you, what do you do or what can one do to kind of stay in contact with that, that person while you're waiting for a live deal? Well, you know, if you don't have a fund and you're, you're raising money on a deal, or on a single asset, it's largely about you know creating a drip campaign or having enough velocity in your deal flow where you can take their capital and then hopefully deploy it fairly quickly. But we have you know tons of drip campaigns, emails, blogs, obviously my podcast, The Capital Catalyst Show. We send out a great magazine every other month that's got my picture on it. We use a company called Reminder Media. They have a great publication called Business in Action. And so that goes out to everybody. But, you know, the other thing, of course, with a fund is a lot of people are real concerned about having a fund because as they're raising capital, they're like, well, you know, it might be 60, 90 days before we actually buy a property. How is that person going to feel about me just sitting on their money? And what they don't realize is that the largest real estate companies on Wall Street, these guys that raise literally hundreds of millions of dollars, when they structure a fund, they tell the investor, you're going to get a preferred distribution, and it literally is going to start the very next month. Well, the question is, if you haven't bought a piece of real estate, like, how am I getting a distribution? It's called a return of principal. You see, the biggest syndicators in the country are just sending you your money back. So that first check you're getting, it's a return of principal. Second check you might be getting is a return of your principal. Now I, in the third month, buy a property. Now there's funds from operations. And so that distribution that I'm sending you is largely covered out of the cash flow. And then I buy another property. Well, you know, if the biggest real estate firms in the country that manage billions of dollars in real estate are doing that, why can't the small guy do it? 
It's just because they don't know that that's how it's done on Wall Street. And so in our fund, and in a lot of the funds we've helped our students launch, we just say your accountant at the end of the year when they send out the tax reporting information is going to be able to break all that down for your investor. But they should start getting distributions literally the next month or the very next quarter, even if you have not yet bought a piece of real estate. Yeah, that's that's very good. How do you what do you how do you advise people to find investors? What are the different ways? What's what's working oh for, for you? <laughs> there there are investors around us all all of the time. We just don't have our radar on, you know. I think one of the things is just having a really great elevator pitch. You know, and I think one of the big mistakes, Michael, that a lot of people make is that when they're approached at a meetup or at a networking event and they're asked, you know, what is it you do for a living? you make the very common mistake of actually telling that other person what it is you do. And it doesn't really inspire people to go deeper with you. You know, for example, I'm an attorney or I'm a CPA or I'm in IT sales. Oh, great. You know, they, they recognize the fact that you probably make a nice living, but I learned from my business coach that really the purpose of a great elevator pitch is to move people forward in a process with you. It's like Grant Cardone says, money follows motion. And so you have to be thinking about where am I moving this investor's attention to? And so when people approach me at networking events or I'm at a party and they say, Brad, what is it you do for a living? I just smile and I say, man, I'm a freedom consultant. And they're like, what? look at me like a deer in the headlights. And I'm like, (laughs) you probably have never heard that one before, have you? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, I'm a freedom consultant. You see, I'm a real estate entrepreneur. And what I do is I show people how they can basically get away from exchanging their time for money. We call that a job. I help people create true financial freedom in their lives. Matter of fact, next week, I'm hosting a webinar on that very subject. Would you like me to send you a link? Or, you know, hey, I'm doing a live event. Would you like me to send you the invitation? Invariably, nine out of 10 times, the answer is yes. Why? Because everyone in the world's looking for more financial freedom, you yeah. see. And so that's become what I call my elevator pitch, but it moves people forward now in a process with me. They're either on a webinar, they're at an event, then I can qualify them as to are they a potential investor? And if they are, keep moving them forward. So yeah, I think look- one, it's having that pitch. The other is also, you know, understanding that there are plenty of places to meet potential investors meetups, hosting your own event. One of my favorite, and I've even written an article about this that's in LinkedIn, is going to Starbucks. And, you know, in every major city, you have what I call that wealthy, wealthy pocket of wealth. And you know the zip code. Here in Houston, it's River Oaks, or it's Bunker Hill. It's where all the three, five, $10 million mansions are. But guess what? There's a Starbucks right in the center of that little pocket of wealth, So what I do is I just go there and I camp out. And after I go get my cappuccino, I just give the barista my credit card. I say, for the next 20 to 30 minutes, everybody that comes up here and buys something, you just smile and say, it's free today, compliments of the guy sitting right over there. I love that. And and what I'm doing, theoretically, is I'm getting in the front door of all those big homes. Why? Because that CEO, that partner in a law firm that's making his four or $600,000, He's coming there to do what? Get his cup of coffee on the way to work that day. And it is a very outside the box approach to reaching the wealthiest people in town. But guess what? It works like magic. 
And when I buy them that $5 cup of coffee and they come over and I introduce myself, there's now a sense of commitment because when I call them back a couple of days later, all I have to say is, hey, Michael, Brad Blazer, I'm the guy you met in Starbucks the other day. Instant report. Oh, my God. Thank you so much, man. That was the coolest thing. And bingo. We just go right into what I do. And if there's interest, great. If there's not, you know, that's fine, too. But that's just one of the many unorthodox approaches that I talk about to get in front of real qualified investors. Yeah, I love that. Now, how does the game change when you get into family offices, private equity? It's it's like everybody talks about this thing yeah. and very few people actually get into it. What can you say about that? Is it something people should try to get into? Is that more of an advanced strategy or what what do you what's your advice there? It's definitely an advanced strategy. And what you have to realize is that when you're playing at that league, they're professional investors. You know, they're gonna check you out. The due diligence process is highly vetted. And you better have all your ducks in a row. And what I mean by that is they're going to look for things that you may not have just getting started as a solopreneur or in building that small team. You know, they're going to ask you things about your accounting infrastructure, your investor relations, what reporting looks like. They're going to do LexisNexis background checks to make sure that, you know, you don't have any pending litigation, things of that nature. So just recognize they are going to do a much higher degree of due diligence on you. But the big challenge is most financial family offices and most, quote, private wealth firms are not easy to get into. Uh, And the reason that they're not easy to get into is they're managing, in many cases, hundreds of millions and sometimes billions of dollars. And so everybody and their grandma's banging on the front door trying to get in. And they're very protective. It's a very close-knit society. And a lot of people don't realize the best way to get in is to attend a lot of the events that they go to throughout the year. So now you're sitting down having breakfast with them. You're meeting over lunch or at a cocktail party. And then you follow up after the event where now they put a name with the face. And so, you know, in any given year, there's probably six to eight high quality events that cater to the delegates from these family offices. A lot of times you have the analysts, the chief investment officers there. And so, you know, as an example, one of the probably better attended events takes place in Newport, Rhode Island every year. It's called the Opal Family Office and Private Wealth Event. And delegates from family offices all around the world fly in. You got private jets, you got big yachts out in the harbor. But, you know, it's a great place to network and meet people in family offices. And then from there, find out what they invest in and whether you're a good fit. The big challenge for a lot of family offices is they'll just tell you, unless we can write a check for $10 million, don't even bother calling us. It's just too small a deal and it doesn't move the needle. We're not even going to bother looking at it. But if you're doing, you know, big deals, multifamily land developments, you're building high rises where you're trying to raise, you know, 30, $50 million, family office and the private wealth market is a very, very great place to be. You know, the market is always changing and in various different asset classes, especially in the last two years. Markets up, down, COVID here, inflation there, right? Rising interest rates. How are you currently raising capital in an environment where I would say there's probably a, a high amount of fear from in- investors? How is, how is your capital? How are you addressing that right now as you're raising capital? You know, it's funny because right now the alternative investment space has seen more money come into it 
over the last year than the prior year. And so, you know, people that have money realize my money's always going to be working for me. And if I was smart enough to get out of the market before the market kind of tanked and I'm sitting on the sidelines, I just can't keep that money in a savings account. I've got to put it to work somewhere. So where do I put it? I put it in a real estate deal. I put it maybe into an oil and gas drilling program. Maybe I put it over here with somebody that's got a business. You know, and one of the things that I've learned basically, you know, getting to know many of the sharks on Shark Tank, like Kevin Harrington and, of course, Damon John, is so many people come on the show and they're smart. I mean, they got PhDs, you know, they got good businesses, but they leave the show without a deal. And it really comes down to one word. The word is execution. If you can't convince me as a potential investor that you can execute on that business or on whatever it is you're doing, why in the world would I open up my checkbook to you? And a lot of people are not really good at communicating that they or they and the team of people they built around them can execute on an investment strategy. And so, you know, we have a lot of people that come to us and say, man, you know, I want to go out and raise $5 million. Great. You're a solopreneur. And so as I look at you, I'm questioning your ability to execute on this. But if you're in your pitch deck or in your, you know, your website say, you know, hey, here's my team. I got John. He's my CPA. He's going to handle all of the tax reporting at the end of the year. And I've got Bobby. Bobby's a partner in a big law firm here. He's going to handle all the legal stuff to make sure we stay out of trouble. And I've got Brad, who's raised $2 billion. He's my capital advisor. You see, now the believability factor goes way up here. And now it's like, oh, you know, I, I see that Michael's not just a solopreneur. He's a real entrepreneur. He's got a team of people around him that are giving him advice and counsel. And I can see that he and his team are going to be real successful. So that's really the secret. It's the ability to convince somebody that you and the team that you're working with can execute on whatever it is you're ultimately doing. Tell us a little bit of how people can connect with you and some of the resources you have available for raising capital. You know, I think probably the easiest thing is just go to Amazon and buy my third book, Winning at the Capital Game. It goes into detail, you know, how to attract investors, talks about the different types of investors, VCs, private equity firms, high net worth. The easiest way also is just to connect with me on social media. You can find me on Instagram, just my first and last name, a little whatever symbol, Brad Blazar, B-L-A-Z-A-R. There's no E's in the spelling in my last name. Or just go to my website, www.bradblazer.com and shoot us a DM. You know, we'd love to have what I call a capital clarity call with you. Find out what you're doing, what you want to be doing, and see if any of the tools any of the things that we offer, whether it's a boot camp, whether it's one of our webinars, whether it's our actual coaching and training as a fit. But I'm real easy to find on social media and on the internet. Dude, it's been awesome having your show, Brad. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. That's funny when Brad said that he's a freedom consultant. That's kind of what I am. I'm a freedom consultant, right? And I help people become financially free. I love that. So next time I'm in an airplane or something says, what do you do? I'm a freedom consultant. And doesn't that raise and pique someone's interest and open the door, you know, and maybe I can lead them to some webinar I'm hosting? That's brilliant. The other thing I really like was the whole Starbucks thing. How brilliant is that? Buy someone a coffee. I just, I love that. And what a great idea that was. And the thing is, you got to build trust. And I think a lot of people confuse raising capital with 
relationships, right? So you can't go out there and and simply raise capital. You have an agenda. You need to put that behind and put the other person first. Find out what they want, right? Do they want financial freedom? Are they looking for alternative investments? Are they struggling with taxes, right? Find out what they're doing. And, and a great way to do that is to ask them, hey, what are you investing these days? And that gets a conversation going as well, because passive investor is kind of stuck a little bit right now, right? Stock market's been down and a lot of analysts saying it's going down a little bit further until it recovers. So where am I supposed to put my money, right? And this is why Brad said there's been so many more investments that going in alternative asset classes, such as oil and gas or multifamily or a variety of even precious metals, right? The price of gold is on a tear right now because crypto used to be the safe haven. Uh, gosh, that turned out to be wrong, right? So what is the investor supposed to do? So if you can educate someone about this new, awesome investment class called multifamily syndications, it has so many inherent benefits, right? It's got, uh, first of all, it's got a wonderful risk-adjusted return. Risk-adjusted returns, meaning that it's got relatively low risk with a reasonably high return, right? Because everything's about risk right now. It doesn't matter if you have a 50% average annual return if the risk is super high, right? Why not settle for a 15% average annual return where the risk is very, very reasonable, right? So the asset class is very recession-resistant. Then it's got cash flow, right? You can't really produce cash flow from stocks in the way you can with multifamily. It's got unbelievable tax benefits, and it's a fantastic hedge against inflation. And we're, of course, in an inflationary environment. So putting your money in the bank right now is not great because it's going to lose 5 to 10% each year, right? So the past investor has these, these issues that you can help them with. And if you're listening to this right now going, my gosh, yes, that's, this is great. You know, if you are interested in investing passively, check out our investment company. It's called NighthawkEquity.com. Just head over there. And there you can also click on the join button and schedule a call with us. And it'll be similar to what Brad described. You just want to get to know you and see if this is right. It's not right for everybody. And then we can brief you on an upcoming investment opportunity that we have. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity here this year. We're already, the way I think about it is I look at the way Warren Buffett invests. I think I may have talked about this in a, in a previous podcast. Warren Buffett always invests in undervalued companies with strong fundamentals. Right. And multifamily has always had strong fundamentals, even right now. And at the current moment, it's on sale. Okay. Multifamily is on sale right now. It is undervalued. And it's because of the large amount of fear that's in the market right now. It's wigging out buyers, it's wigging out the lenders. And there's a, a huge opportunity to pick stuff up that in March of last year was at the pinnacle of height. Was it overheated? I'm not sure. You know, was it hotter than normal? Maybe. But the fundamentals were driving that price, and it's been hammered down by 15 20% right now because of fear. Therefore, if you can pick up a property right now that's even possibly mildly distressed is, is as an added bonus, and now the, the, the pricing resumes towards the end of the year as the interest rate hikes normalize, as the lending environment normalizes, you don't even have to do anything. You just simply wait for the market to correct. Meanwhile, you're working on your value add building further. It gives you a second layer of margin for error. So I think there's going to be huge opportunity in multifamily space. Again, you always want to adapt your underwriting. You want to ask good questions. You want to play defense right now so you can sort of survive this winter we're in because I, I kind of feel like we're in a winter. We're entering in a recession. So you want to play defense. And in my opinion, multifamily is great defense right now. It's not crypto. You're not making 50% returns, but you do that so that you can thrive in the spring. And that's really how I what I consider this asset class. So check us out again. 
mentoring the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor and if you want to get into this if you're looking for an alternative investment class we'd love to be your partner check us out at nighthawkequity.com all right with that get out there and do a deal catch you next time thanks for listening take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our freedom vault where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.